0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Um, Hey, today's guest, listen, this is important to me. Today's guest is Jeffrey DeMunn, who plays Chuck Sr., Chuck Charles Rhodes Sr. on Billions, and is um, not only an actor whose work I love, but uh, a guy that I've come to love. So this is a really, uh, really special and important to have Jeff here. Jeff, thanks for doing this. Oh, you bet. My pleasure. So um, you've been... You've been at this acting game a while, and I I want to go back to the beginning if I can. Okay, let's let's do it because wow, man, yeah, knock a few cobwebs out of the <laughs> way. Yeah, let's do it because I mean your career has been amazing. You know, you you have the first line in Shawshank Redemption. You're in all of Darabont's films in one way or yeah. another. Um, you've been uh, nominated for Tony. Emmy, you won a Drama Circle Award. You've done all this incredible stuff, but you've also done, I think, this rare thing of remaining a bit of a. You're an actor. I don't think people really know you uh, that well, and I think you're at the point in your in your career where it's it's not a bad thing to to let people understand because some people really are meeting you in this role. In That's a way. true. That's true. People who don't go to the theater. Right who were younger when those movies came out. And right, right. maybe they, you know, and I don't think there's a huge crossover with The Walking Dead and, and our show.
1: No, and, and the watchers of this show, probably not.
0: I imagine different people come up to you from yeah. the different things, right? Yeah, yeah. Plus, yeah, I mean, our show's even on opposite Walking Dead, I think, so people are having to literally choose. Um, I guess maybe Walking Dead's right before us, and they, of course, that's a juggernaut, that show. Yeah. And I want to talk about why you left the show, but let can we just start... Um, I'm always interested in this about actors. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Buffalo, New York.
1: Uh, I grew up in a kind of a a regular uh, working class neighborhood. Uh, I ended up going to uh, sort of fancy schools that um, my father couldn't have paid for, but my grandfather, was a, he was a, a, a German, uh, and he made it through, I think, eighth grade, and then went into uh, manufacturing of windshield wipers, Trico windshield wipers in Buffalo, New York, and he started as a, you know, as a low level, ended up vice president of this company, and would scrupulously save his money for his grandkids' education? Just as a, it was deep in his nature. My grandmother used to tell me, he died before I was born, but my grandmother used to tell me that if they were gonna go on vacation, he would come home on Friday with his paycheck, he would place it on the mantelpiece, and then they would go on vacation without cashing that last paycheck to pay <laughs> for the vacation. Really? Yeah. So he, uh, he, he made quite a bit of money, and that money uh, and then he he passed away at age uh, 50, and then he uh, that money went to pay for his four grandchildren going to the better schools in Buffalo. So I you got to,
0: to go to a prep school, but you were like a poor, working-class kid going to a, a exactly.
1: prep school. Yeah. Uh, I went to, uh, to Nichols School, and my sister went to the Buffalo Seminary. de toot de toot we're the girls at the Institute. Right. We don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't go with boys who do. And... Uh, <laughs> That's so it awesome. was it was an odd odd division. I was living in two different worlds. I felt utterly out of place at the prep school and uh strangely uh pretty comfortable in the neighborhood. I dug the neighborhood and it finally all uh finally all just got
0: pretty painful. <laughs> it, well, that's as with most people who become some sort of an artist or many. Yeah. You sort of retreat into your own head a bit, right?
1: A little bit, and I also at the same time became very active and was became very outspoken at the school and uh, got into a lot of trouble for my
0: for my talking. For, what were you? This was in the fifties. This was in the early sixties. Early sixties, and yeah. how were you talking out? So well, you were, yeah, it's it's interesting. This time you didn't think about being. You weren't thinking about being an actor.
1: No. But I, uh, oh, it would be things, I was, I was becoming socially aware. Yeah. And I was, became very aware that there was a whole side of Buffalo where it was utterly segregated, where the housing sucked. Uh, it was a, there was a whole part of Buffalo that was being trashed. Yeah. While the other part of Buffalo, Buffalo was a very elite city. It's, it's a Brahmin society there. And I joined SNCC and CORE and all those things. Everything like that I could find. I said, wait a minute. And then I started uh, speaking out at, at, at school and, and getting a
0: lot of uh, blowback uh, from the students. From the students, not the administration or both?
1: Not the administration. Oddly enough, not the administration. I remember... Oh, this is a stupid little story, but I remember one day I, no, not uh, stupid. I was going down the hallway and they had a, we were going to have Culture Week, which alone kind of raised the hackles. And there was someone had made a poster that they put up on the wall and it showed a guy with a wheelbarrow and he looked, I think he looked kind of Italian because he had a mustache and he was a working class guy with a wheelbarrow. And on the poster it said, don't give up. What this man did. In other words, this man gave up culture. Oh, don't, don't give up the stuff this guy gave up?
0: Yeah. Really?
1: Yeah. And I took one look at that, and I went into, uh, <laughs> I forget, to, to, like one of the top administrators at the school, and I said, I'm taking that poster down off the wall. And I explained to him why, and he said, you better go and talk to the, the kid who made it. And the kid was in study hall. I remember we had this big, it was all, it was a wooden school. It had a library with wood in it. It had a, a study hall with wood.
0: Yes, like every evil prep school in the movies, basically. <laughs> right? Every and I, Like s- Salinger's prep school.
1: <laughs> I banged into this uh, study hall, found this kid, and I walked over to him, and I said, I've taken down that poster in the hall. <laughs> he said, oh, right? right. <laughs> and uh,
0: he didn't, did he understand why? Did no, you explain oh, it?
1: No. No, I didn't. Not to him.
0: I did. And to were you the, like 15 or something, you think? Yeah, 15, 16. Yeah. And, and so as this is starting to happen, you're this, this awareness of the duality of the city you're living in. But, right. but more than that, like um, the way to the Brahmins of the city, uh, the rest of the city was kind of invisible. Right. This really bothered you because you were living in both parts exactly of the city. Exactly that. And you were trying to hold on to some part of your yourself. That's I right. How do I? What's my identity here? Yeah. Where am I? Was, I? Who yeah. am I? Because you learned obviously to talk and read differently than the people who were living next door to you. Yep. Which must have, I can't imagine that felt odd. Yeah. I had great privilege. Right. Despite um, meager means or yep. less or means it's that just weren't normal. as great it was just normal. Just Yeah. What what folks I have? Was it weird? Did your parents? Uh, obviously, your parents were bright people, and they wanted this for you. But were you sort of like better read than they were at a certain point, more aware of the world? I thought I was, but then what teenager doesn't? <laughs> right, sure. Uh, yeah, the... Uh, yeah, what teenager, marked the Twain quote, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and how did you, you're, you're there, you're in high school, you're starting to try to make change. Were there, did you find any peers or friends? Were you?
1: Yes. There was an an evening. My sister went away, my sister's two years older than I.
0: And she uh, was in the seminary.
1: And she was in the Buffalo Seminary, but she went away to college. And she came back, her first vacation, uh, Thanksgiving it must have been. And uh, I went to bed, I always went to bed early for some reason, I I wake up early, I have my whole life. Anyway, there's it comes at, at my door, knocking at the door. And she never knocked at my door. Nobody ever knocked at my door. But I said, yeah? And she said, it's Elise, can I come talk to you? I said, okay. And I turned on the light, and the only time she ever came into my room is when we were chasing each other or something, and this was, sure. this was totally outside of the parameters of my experience. She came and she sat on the edge of my bed, and she said, Jeff, I want to tell you that the world is not what you think it is there's a whole big world out there. Now I want you to go to the Unitarian Church and I want you to join the youth group there. Go do that and start to find out about the world. Because she also had come from this- Cloistered and then
0: she suddenly was at college. Suddenly she's at college. Fascinating it's a church group she sent you to as your way into the world. Well, it was the Unitarian Church. Right, I understand what Unitarian Church is, yes. A very open, very welcoming, very, open, very yeah. inviting environment. So I,
1: I went yes. there, and uh, here was this group of people. I immediately felt part of them. I, of course, was wearing a jacket and tie. The
0: when you group, went the first time. Oh, yeah. yeah. When
1: I went pretty much every time, because that was, the, that was part of the world that I came from. And, uh, but here was this ragtag bunch of people with all kinds of different beliefs and experiences. And as soon as I walked in the door, I was included. There was no... You were welcomed. Absolutely, there was no little process I had to go through or anything. It was just, you're here, you're on the
0: bus. Right, and that felt great. Uh, Night and day. Because they, and you realized, uh, you felt a kinship with them too. Absolutely. It wasn't only being welcomed, you felt these were interesting. Absolutely. Fascinating uh,
1: people. Here's my here's my folks. As opposed to so, what I felt in the school. So that, that was
0: the part. first time you found a group of folks. Obviously, you, this changed for you as you went along. Right. But this was the first time you found, okay, these are people who are thinking. Yep. And interested in exploring. And
1: challenging, yep. And so that changed. Not, and not frightened of subjects. Not, there weren't, weren't taboos. You could talk about sex. You could talk about race. You could talk about all these things that were, at that time in the 60s,
0: in the first half of the 60s, you really couldn't. You really couldn't. It was, but this was the beginning was of the pressure, a boom. <laughs> right? This was the pressure that this sort of uh, the pressure that finally caused people yeah. to say, we're going to be who we want to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. So you were part of I mean, you felt you were a part of that.
1: Well, I, I didn't know I, mean, I was age part wise, of Age-wise, you but, are. But I didn't know I was part of anything. But I know that I sat in front of the TV and watched for the first time in America fellow by the name of Bob Dylan, because we were near Canada, I grew up in Buffalo, so we could get, and he would not go on American television, but I could tune in this scratchy Canadian television, and this scrawny kid sitting on a stool.
0: Wait, what year were you born? I was born in 47. Right, right. So it was perfect for you. Perfect. In 67, you were 20. That's what I was trying yeah. to figure out. Like in Like, so when Dylan's first album came out in 63, Right, you were yeah. 16 years. That was per. I mean, it was, it was
1: perfect. Absolutely the sweet spot. For I you. couldn't. And he was talking it. to you. you he know. was talking right to my heart, <laughs> and all of us. Did all you play an instrument at that time? I tried like mad to play. I tried playing guitar. I tried uh, the the the, uh, the licorice stick, the clarinet. I tried the piano. I mean, I just I tried anything I could, but I couldn't. I didn't have a musical. Bone Did in you my feel body.
0: to yourself when you were trying that that? Uh, but I. Did you at, at all at that time identify as an artistic person? Did you did you know because that like you're trying the music thing and you're like, oh, this doesn't work for me. Did you feel like you had something in you to express that? I know exactly when that happened.
1: Uh, I had because when you're in, in high school, if you if you join clubs, you have a better chance of going to college.
0: They told you that. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So I I joined things and I joined the drama club. I thought, right, I'll join the drama club. And uh, we did a play called the egg and I Uh, I had a one-line role in it and I remember Todd Wheeler had the lead and uh, I did the play and one of the days Todd was not available for rehearsal and the director said well here because I I was the guy doing the least he said why don't you read uh, Todd's part so I read through Todd's part okay Came the night of the show, it was only one performance. <laughs> and uh, I went to the party afterwards, and everyone's high as a kite, and then how oh, great, great and great. Uh, and I, I remember Todd came over to me and he said, Hey, how come you didn't say your line? And my, my line was I entered, I, I think, stage right, said the line, and exited stage left. And apparently I I failed to actually say the (laughs) You just (laughs) entered and exited? (laughs) I think I just walked across. It was all just, I wasn't even conscious. At any rate, the next meeting we had of the drama club, the drama teacher, Mr. Herlin, whom I kind of liked. He he was his own little guy, but I kind of liked him. And he said, Mr. DeMunn, would you come up here, please? And so, I mean, it's all jacket and tie stuff. You know, you're all... So I went up, and there was a little podium there, and he he took a book, and he opened it up. And he said, Would you read that, please? And I started reading it. And I felt something I'd never felt before in my life. And uh, I read the paragraph, and I felt that it it was like I'd plugged into something. And I finished the paragraph, and Mr. Herland said, you, sir, have missed your calling. And I thought, oh, shit, I did. <laughs> At the same time, as thinking, but wait a minute. I, I haven't even started yet. Right. But that was a moment when I, when I first felt. Was it Shakespeare? What was it? Do you remember? No, I don't even remember. It could have been a, a history book. It could have been, you know, the Erie Canal was, could have been anything. Right. But it was like I put my fingers into the socket. Wow. And I felt this. What
0: was that? And up to then, you never knew. No. You would watch movies, and you didn't feel anything, know that you felt something different than the other people? No, I would. The only contact I had really before that, my dad
1: used to do things like little readings at uh, church, or he did some community theater. And he would enlist me to go over his lines with him. Yeah. And so I would, I'd go over his lines with him in the evening. And, and my, my dad was very partial to drinking. And uh, so there would be these evenings where he was knee deep in vodka, and he would. oh, it was just painful to listen to him going through. It was just bad. Uh, even I knew. You it could tell bad, it was bad. Bad, yeah. bad acting. And then you know, I'd go to church that Sunday, and he would stand up in front of the congregation, and oh, he was marvelous. He had this wonderful talent. Oh, it would come to life. It would come to life. And so I—that was a kind of a revelation to me. But it was that was subsequent. It was previous to my actually. Film. Wait, what
0: was the revelation to you? That you could go that be bad and then good. That he could have this transformative
1: yeah. talent. He could transform, and in doing that, elevate the, the people listening to it.
0: Yes, and even if it was bad at first, because you're saying. When he would do it at home and he'd be oh, drunk. It was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah. And that was his rehearsing of some sort. Yeah. And it was a certain disaster at the end of it. So did that later on make you comfortable to sort of fail in your first tries doing I mean, I, it's a weird thing. Like, um I mean, I've watched your process closely. I mean, you're all now you're always good, but I do see that you're willing to try stuff in rehearsal. You gotta fail, yeah. And you're willing to be bigger or smaller yeah. and then try to locate what feels right yeah failure is essential and when 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 you uh, had that experience and the guy said you missed your calling obviously at first you were like what do you mean i missed Just it i'm smid. only 16. <laughs> but then what did you do with that after like when you went home that night did you think about it did it did you uh, say i'm gonna i guess i'm gonna go be an actor no the next I I think I just kind of stuffed it away. Right. You felt the thing. You got super moved. Yep. Because even sitting here now, you were visibly moved. Yep. Remembering it. Yep. And then you were like, "But that's not. I can't. That's not responsible. Or that's right. not who I, I am." Was, I was going
1: to be an attorney. I was I was going to college to be an attorney. And be, so, if,
0: because it, being in that environment of the two two environments, did you think at first? Because obviously you chose a life that had no material security. But <laughs> did you think to yourself? Um as you were going in prep school, because even the way you said, I knew I had to join a club to go to college. I mean, did part of you, the way working class people often do, did you think to yourself, well, I have to go, I have to figure out how to make a living? Absolutely. I gotta be successful. Like I, you wanted to be successful.
1: Yeah, I was gonna be a lawyer. And do be, good with it, I corporate, guess? No, corporate law.
0: Even though you wanted to change the world, you thought I'd be a corporate lawyer. The,
1: at the, when it came time to decide on my, the rest of my life, I spoke with it, I, I spoke with my dad about it and, uh, he suggested I be a corporate lawyer, and so I was going to be a corporate lawyer in an electronics firm because he worked for Sylvania Electric, and so that's where I was. He took me in to meet one of his, one of the lawyers at his corporation, and
0: you thought, oh, this is who I'm going to be. This I thought, oh be. my God, this
1: seems horrible, but that was what I went to school to do was to get a law degree. I went to be pre-law, and uh, I was going to get an engineering degree in electrical engineering. Yeah and become a lawyer in an electronics firm
0: wait you thought I gotta get, like you thought this seemed you really had the conscious thought this seems bad
1: when I met the guy it just seemed <laughs> so boring
0: right and then you but you still were oh, gonna press still, on yeah I was that's what I
1: was because you have to yeah did to you get, figure
0: that's what adult life was like you did this stuff that I, you didn't like I think I assumed that yeah. that's what
1: adults do because I certainly had watched my dad I remember when I was a little kid watching my dad come home from work because I'd run to the door to open the door for him right. And I remember opening the door and looking up at this guy, and he was just all gray-faced. And I thought, oh, man, no. I don't want to do that. But,
0: yeah, I thought that's what you had to do. Right. Wow. Yeah, you know, I... So you... But you loved your dad. If you would run... I loved him,
1: but it was full of conflict. Sure, the drinking... My mom I adored. Right. My mom and I were pals and could do anything. My dad was... It was conflicted until the last year and a half
0: of his life. Conflicted because you, you, you know, well, it's that thing with fathers and sons. So. Yeah, and plus
1: he was—he was—he was, he could be—he could be, pretty rough. I'm sorry, what a track.
0: Yeah. Um, yet you would run to the door to let him in. Absolutely, <laughs> and make sure that walk was shoveled when he got home. Buffalo, right. so you had to shovel. Yeah, it's funny. You know, my my dad would come home happy from work, and I, uh, it's a huge thing for me choosing to live this kind of life was he was in business, in the music business, but uh, he loved what he did. And like, that was one of the things that made me think, like, I better find something that I love to do. Uh, So so they have such a, you just have such a huge influence on your kids in ways you don't even, you know, even beyond what you say. Yes. Just by the way you carry. I mean, literally just by how you carry yourself when you come in the door. Yeah. They, because they're watching, you're watching so closely, right? Yeah. It's amazing, and um, so you are going to go off to be a lawyer. Yep, you go to Union College.
1: Went to Union College.
0: So did your grandfather pay for that too, or did you? Were no, you on the hook my the dad.
1: Loans? My dad paid for Union College, and I remember he gave me the whole amount for the year up front. He said, "Here is here is for your living for the year," and I was really a really good um, husbander of, of money. Sure had to be, and uh I mean from the time I was a kid i any time I could I'd make a dime, I'd put it in the bank right uh because it was that kind of situation and uh yeah, so i went off to went off to college and uh I remember my freshman year i uh was in the autumn of my freshman i had, i had assumed that at college there were going to be these wise older people and these earnest, young, searching, young people, yeah. and that together, we were all gonna try to do the impossible, we were gonna try to figure it out, we were gonna try to to understand the world. And I got there and I found that there were a bunch of, um, many of the students really didn't wanna be there, probably shouldn't have been there, should've been doing something else, and some of the professors uh, that, had never been educated themselves in a way, and really probably shouldn't have been there,
0: weren't happy being there. Had never been deeply enough educated, like uh, in a real way.
1: Yeah, and so I was really disappointed. And I remember one night, where this came from, I have no idea, Brian. One night, I'm in my dorm room, studying whatever I was studying, and uh, I ran out of the dorm room, ran up to a building that was the... uh, The theater was right in the middle of the campus. Uh, We used to call it Knott's Nipple. It was this round uh, building named after Eliphelet Knott. It was theater in the round. And I ran into this building, ran into the hallway, opened the door of the uh, professor's office. I'd never met him. And opened the door and said, I want to act. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) And
0: Were you stoned, stoned,
1: do you think? No. Drunk? No. You were just hanging out? I reading? was studying. I was trying to do my work, and I just said, I can't. And uh, wow. I remember he was, it was it was Bill Merriweather was his name, and he was in the office with, God, what's his name? Kent, somebody or other. And uh, they both laughed, and I had interrupted their meeting whenever I was. Sure, want. yeah. And uh Bill said, uh, well, you're gonna have to audition. And I said, Well, uh where do I do that? <laughs> and that's how I got started
0: on and, theater. And then did you switch to a drama major and stuff? <laughs> I I eventually switched to I I was sitting in
1: to to do electrical engineering you have to you have to master calculus. Oof. And I was sitting in this calculus class. I'm a a, a bright young kid with mathematics, I can all that, that's fine. Calculus I couldn't get. And I was sitting in this classroom and I remember the teacher, it was a lovely woman, she was up on the blackboard doing all this calculus and I had no idea what she was doing. And she turned around and said, you see, a rose is a rose is a rose. And every kid in that class but me went, Oh. oh
0: no, miserable. I mean
1: I would have been you there for sure. <laughs> and I said, Oh boy. Oh boy, I'm done. So yeah. I it was, shortly after that I went up to her and said, I'm gonna have to
0: quit this class. I'm Right. Lost. You knew. Yeah. It's funny, as you're talking about union, I two of my closest friends from when I was in high school, of David mine, went there. I visited oh. I was at Union a lot oh, when no I was in kidding. college. So like I'm completely picturing the campus. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I really yeah. Know so it. you know, not snipple, I, I nipple really there. remember the whole like. I yeah. know the whole campus. So it's, it's fat, Amazing to picture you, because it's bleak. <laughs> it's a bleak in the winter. That place is bleak. Yeah. I mean, you grew up with that. Yeah, I love Buffalo. It. I loved it. But it is. There's. You know. <laughs> it's. It's dark. There's a lot of
1: gray. It's just an intense. (laughs) Yep. And the funny thing is, Brian, when I was looking at colleges, I went around with my mom looking at colleges. And I looked at, you know, some good schools. Well, it's a very good school. It's a very good school. Very good. I looked at some other, you know, good schools. I was on that campus maybe 30 seconds before I said, this is it. Right. This is the one. You felt it. Yeah, and then I went, talked to the admissions guy, got early inter- uh, admissions and uh, early acceptance. And, and that was it? You just went? Done, yeah. I, it was exactly where I wanted to be.
0: So, cabal <laughs> because maybe you knew you'd find this theater and this would all work out in that way somewhere. So did you then audition? Did you go do it?
1: Yes, I went and uh, auditioned. and uh, Prepared for the audition? Nope. Just went and auditioned and
0: uh, got the part. And uh, met my first wife. Wait, got the part, like in your first play, in the first play that you went out for. Oh yeah! Right after that. Oh yeah! And then were you? Uh, it worked. Like you were good. It, at it. It, you met it your worked. wife in the cast. Your first wife. Yes, life.
1: my first wife was in the cast, and uh, it just it became the center of my life then. The theater. I think I did twelve uh, plays over the next uh, three and a half years.
0: And got a uh, acclaim for it. Did people recognize? On, I mean, you. You loved it, right, it, it felt right to you. Yes. Was it the thing where you felt the most alive when you were doing that? Absolutely, it, was, it just became, it became
1: everything to me. It became everything the, and Bill Meriwether uh, became my, uh, he was my guy, he was my number one guy. Right. Uh, and uh, He would direct all the shows? Most of them. I remember the first show that he didn't direct I was, that I was working on it was uh, oh God what's the name of it I'll remember later,
0: yeah, but it doesn't matter you did a show that he didn't I did not did a show that he wasn't
1: uh, directing and I remember I grabbed him in the hall and I said Bill you know how am I doing in this play, and he said I he said Jeff I can't uh, really, and I said but come on, I said all right, when I walk by and I hear you talking I don't believe you, wow I said done.
0: I it can. helped. Oh, absolutely. Did you understand what he was talking absolutely.
1: about? Absolutely. I can do that. <laughs> I mean, that I can do.
0: Right. Well, you certainly can. I can. But even then you could. You understood. That I got completely. It's, yeah. a, it's amazing how if you have a really great first uh, experience with a drama teacher. or mm. So this guy named Jordan Hornstein was mine in high school. But he was like a college professor in high school. And he was Stephen Kunkin's. Who you know is in our show plays right. Spiros in our show. Right, Melissa Eriko also. There were a bunch of us who ended up living this life, and he taught us what it meant to be professionals in a the theater. Yeah, as kids, he yeah. really was one of these people. Yeah, he looked at us and talked to us that directly, and that, that kind of clarity. Like you're, and it's. Um, I've had him visit sets because he's. It was so. He formed so much the way that I talk to actors and everything. Yeah, by the way he talked. So I can imagine this guy meant a ton to you.
1: He you? did. I smoked Paul Malls just like him. Right. He, you he wanted a... Oh, yeah.
0: Your identity was with him. You he
1: switched was, fathers in he a way. Was, so oh, people. absolutely. Because my dad and I had struggled so much. This was a... Yeah. This was a find. As someone
0: who saw you. Yep. Understood who you were. Yep. And did the theater people become the next crew for you? The next group of people you were hanging out with?
1: Yes, Completely. They were yeah. your. They were it, and it, and that thing that I had hoped for when I first came to college—that there would be the, the inexperienced and the little more experienced getting together, trying to do the impossible—that is that started happening. That with is the theater. What, for sure. That's what theater is. We're putting on a play. Let's You're go put on a You're always trying to do the impossible.
0: And so here you were, though, somebody who had, as you said, always good at husbanding, money, right? Responsible, right? Got yourself into the good school, right? As you were doing this acting, did you start thinking about the future and realize, I'm not going to be a lawyer?
1: I quit my pre-law uh, before my freshman year was over and just became an English major. Yeah, great. I had to get that out of the way. And uh, then I started, I would study, you know, other interesting things. Did and you have
0: to tell them at home? Did they have a hard time with paying for the future years because you weren't? They, I never heard a peep about it. They were fine with this they whole were direction.
1: fine with it that for some reason they trusted me to be able to wing this.
0: And were you worried? Did you, any part of you no. worried about what was going to happen in your life?
1: No, never thought of it. I mean, I was a kid. I just knew I was
0: fine. <laughs> you, mean you knew that um, you were getting enough nourishment from it. Yeah. You felt alive in a different way. In a
1: way that I hadn't before in my life. And, and I, had, I had Bill as my...
0: And so that's how you knew you weren't crazy? That's how you knew you were good at it? Because you had somebody who would tell you?
1: Yes. He was a a real uh, rock at Gibraltar for me. But then Bill, uh, oh boy, Bill went over the edge. uh, Toward the end. What do you mean over the edge? He went, he He went mad? He went crazy, yes. Before you were, did he see you become a successful actor? He saw me doing the acting. He did not, I directed my first play, which was Waiting for Godot. And Bill wasn't able to, to attend that because he had. Uh, he, uh,
0: he, went, he went crazy. Carl, well, that must have been rough for you to watch.
1: It was something. I was, you know, I was cheek by jowl with him always.
0: Are you struggling to sleep? I will tell you that I hate those nights when it's hard to fall asleep. And the one thing you want to know is that your mattress is right so that you feel comfortable and safe and. Um, helped to sleep and the fine people at mattress firm want to help you mattress firm aka america's neighborhood mattress store can help you stretch your budget a little further when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep these are mattress experts here people and they are not just mattress experts they can straight up help you build your bed from headboards to adjustable bases to sheets they even have bedroom decor they've got you covered literally and figuratively. I hate puns, but I will say that it's valid. It's a valid pun in this read. Please go to mattressfirm.com and save 10% with the code podcast10 through May 2nd. Mattress Firm offers 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and 120-night low price guarantee, so you know you paid the perfect price. Again, go to mattressfirm.com to learn how your sleeping could be tremendously improved. Plus, go to mattressfirm.com and save 10% with the code podcast10 through May 2nd. I'm mostly interested in how how then not having this mentor figure just impacted you making decisions because you had this guy to help you know I'm an actor. Right. And then suddenly you're at a certain point, as we all do, you have to kind of start figuring it out just by yourself. You have to be steering by the stars. right? Yeah. At a certain point. Also, definitely Chuck Sr. is going to say about somebody that they were cheek by jowl next year. That's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) That's too good at Chuck Sr. I mean, you're so different from Chuck Sr. that you almost never... But like, that's great. Chuck (laughs) Sr. has to say that. Um, He and I were cheek by jowl. That has to be in the show for sure. But um, So what did define those first... So you you act during college. In the summer, are you doing summer sock then during college or... Are you working? I worked. The yes,
1: I worked. I, I worked uh, uh, with a, a program called Upward Bound. I don't know if you know. Upward
0: Bound, not outward bound. Upward Bound. What? No, I don't know. It
1: was for at-risk uh, high school students. It was sort of a last, last shot, a last chance for some kids who were struggling uh, at their normal schools. They would come. They would live on campus, and we would. There were various departments, and we would do things with these kids. And I ran the theater there. Oh, cool. And would do just the most weird experimental stuff I could come up with. And uh, it actually occasionally worked. It actually occasionally made kids feel
0: good about themselves. Oh, sure. That makes complete sense to me. I, I can mean, imagine the way you would have approached that. I made
1: them sit on the floor in the theater and listen to Ezra Pound. I mean, I did all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. This was during college. This was during the summers. Awesome. Yep. We would walk around campus with breathing in for three steps, holding for three steps, letting out for three steps. I don't know where I was pulling this stuff from. Right. but I. Pulled that's it a from- form
0: of meditation. Yep. That's great. I mean, yep. that's centering and. Yep. And plus
1: I had the thing where anyone who didn't want it, they could come to the drama club and if they didn't want to participate, they could go to the green room. Smoke, right. do whatever you want. It's all yours. Nobody ever did. Right, they wanted to be in. They wanted to be in that
0: room. Great. So yeah. you were taking this feeling of community and this thing these two other men gave you and yes. you were giving it out. Yes, absolutely. People, which made you feel part of this continuum somehow, yep. right? Yep. Great. Amazing. Yep. And then you get out of college. Yeah, I, I had a, a confluence
1: that happened. I I had um, thought about going to theater school and Bill wrote me a letter of introduction or a, a letter of recommendation and uh, I wanted to go to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in Rodad, London, as they say. The greatest it had to be the greatest theater school in the living world. And so I got a an audition. I got on a charter airplane. An audition
0: flight. in London. In London. Got had a, you been to Europe before? Nope.
1: Nope. Been to Canada. Uh, flew over to uh, London. Went to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. I flew with a a Philadelphia rugby football club uh, because they had a charter. I got a cheap flight. And uh, went and went to the Royal Academy at the appointed hour and with a bunch of other people, uh, did my audition pieces. And then we were ushered into a room, and uh, I think there were about six or eight of us in this room, and a gentleman came in and said, well, I'm not interested in any of you. Okay. So I had about 10 days left huh, on the charter. Brutal.
0: <laughs> it was. That's so British and brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I- We're
1: well, not interested in any of you. And I took the 10 days and thought, well, I'm going to thumb and take a look at England. So I, I threw my backpack on and thumbed, and, and you could do it back in the day. And uh, ended up riding with a guy and his and this girl this woman and he said well why don't you come see my friend oh, i forget his name now in bristol i said great so i went and met his friend in bristol who had a spare room where i could stay and the the man was a uh, he was a classical guitarist and a lovely man and he and his wife had a child and i remember watching him with his children with his child i thought ah oh that's a father and son. Oh, wow. That's, that's the way so dad and son is supposed to go. And while I was there, uh, you know, they said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to rot. He said, well, we have a theater school right here. Why don't you go on up the road and talk to them? So I went up the road to the uh, where the greens were at the top and uh, knocked on the door of the Bristol Old Vic Theater School. And a woman came to the door and said, yes, can I help you? And I said I would like to uh, uh, interview to go to school. Here. <laughs> okay. And she said, uh, uh, "One moment, please." <laughs> and uh, I uh, I waited, and she said, "All right, come on in." And it turns out I was she was be- I was being invited into a house. It was just a house with empty rooms. Obviously, they'd taken a house, turned it into a theater
0: school, and. There you go. Connected of, to the Old Vic Theater? No, it was... The Old Vic... The, the theater was downtown. Right, but I'm saying it was related to them the or not in yes, some way? Yes, we would connection.
1: have... We had contacts with them. and we, we, we could go down and be in some of their plays and stuff. So I went in there, sat in this... on the. They had like a deep window seat by the windows. There was no furniture in there or anything. And uh, she said, I'll, I'll tell Mr. Brenner that you're here. And she, so into the room, walked... Nat Brenner, and I was gone. Why? It just breathed out of him. Wow. Yeah. I just saw it. He, uh, hello, Jeffrey, came, sat, and talked with me about theater, about acting, and. Uh, Allowed as to how I could, in New York City, audition for their representative there if I would like to. And I said, I would like to very much. I knew this was the guy I wanted to study with, not the guy that said, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in any of you. Yes. It was a whole other feeling. I recognized him. Mean, you know, I think, who knows how this works, but I recognized the man yes. that I wanted to be with. Yes. So, long story short, I went back. And, Auditioned at NYU, and I couldn't even get past anything there. I tried it, and finally came my audition for the Bristol Old Vic Theater School. By then, I was so fed up with the whole process. I said, oh, fuck it. And I went in to do the audition for the Old Vic and for this guy um, and uh, did my audition and got to the end of it and went, oh, shit. Ooh. You I, felt it. I, I, I didn't I right. was gone yeah I sure I didn't even know I was auditioning I was just doing it yeah and he said well obviously you're a dancer I said no I said, All right. and I'd done my uh, the way I'd done, you'd moved yes I would built a whole bunch of stuff into a into a, into a speech uh, and uh, anyway uh, I did my classical piece which was just a disaster And ended up getting accepted at the school, and I received in one week my uh, call-up to the uh, Army, to report for the Army, and uh, my call-up, this is within three, four days, my call-up to go to England to study acting. What year is this? 69. Wow, holy shit. Yeah, holy shit. It was, and I'd been very big in the anti-war movement. Right, and, uh, I had no, no desire to uh, go to war. I had no desire to go to jail.
0: You had nothing against them, Viet Cong? Nope.
1: Right. Nope. I thought it was a
0: stupid, wrong thing we were doing. For, for young people, that's a Muhammad Ali quote, just so you know that's what that is. I'm not, that's not me saying that. That's, that's what Ali said. But um, So you have a decision to make, or it's no decision? You can just
1: go to England. I could just go to England because they, they didn't have an extradition treaty with the United States uh, for oh, this. Wow. So you just uh, didn't say anything to the draft board? You just left? No, I, uh, I wrote them a letter and uh, said, I'm, I'm leaving the country and I will not return to the country until I can return unmolested. And I uh, went to Canada, went up to Toronto, I caught a train out to Vancouver. Which, for some reason, is where the flight was that wow, I Well, you went west to go yeah, all the way east, all the way east, and then flew over to England. My mother had had recently passed away, and uh, I was still. She had passed away in April of that year. And Sorry, yeah. I was still. She was forty-nine. Jeez. really? Yeah, brain tumor. Sorry. And. Uh, so I was still, uh, I just, oh. uh, I had no sense. You were reeling from that. Yes, the I didn't know where reality was at all. But she had left me $14,000, uh, which I said, okay, I'm going to go do my two more years of education on this. Uh, so I went to the... Uh,
0: where was your, your wife-to-be who was acting also? Was she in Ing? Did she go we with had, you?
1: No, we had parted ways by then. Right. We had parted ways like two years
0: before. You hadn't gotten married? Though. No. You just parted ways. Just parted ways, and then you went off to England. Went off to England, and uh, did you? Did part of you think you were nuts to do it, or you knew? No.
1: I don't know what I was following, Brian, but I just—I uh, don't know. I, well, I you never, got into this great place. I never questioned it. Yeah.
0: And how many years was that? That was two years. And are you auditioning then for shows, or are you just doing I, learning? I, I can't. Right, you can only do this.
1: Uh, well, uh, you—you can't. As, as an American, I couldn't work there. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Right, makes sense. Couldn't work there. Although I did, I, both summers, I, I quote, worked. I did street theater in Bristol, uh, <laughs> which was a great experience, a challenge, extraordinary. Five of us going out into a, a high rise, a bunch of high rises with a big bass drum and a basket full of costumes and Walking around beating the drums, just like barnstorming. Basically. Yeah, and the kids would come from everywhere. Ah, they'd come and we would try and create a play with them, and we'd worked it all out beforehand. We had our whole. Were you the school. only American, or were there other? Americans? I was the only American, but by then I could pass.
0: Right, you had the big. You, I was going to ask you, do you have an accent, pretty much? Yeah, I had a, Ended up with a Bristol accent. Of course you did.
1: And uh, we had gotten together with a group called Dogs Troop in London. And they were like the crack street theater troupe, and I remember going up and, and uh, watching them work and thinking, huh, eh, they're not that great, we could do that. <laughs> – We could top them. – Oh my God, is that tough. Street theater is tough. You've gotta to have five people, you got maybe 150 kids, you're all spread out, and you have to be as close as if you're about a foot apart, staying that much in touch and that synchronized right. to keep this whole big ungangly thing going. This ungainly body of sure, energy. Sure, And uh, so But did. you watched you talk about it. It seems like you loved it, though. I did. The I challenge did. of it. In life. Yeah, and the kids. Right. They were beautiful. My God. They, they were gypsy kids. They red-headed gypsy kids. Uh, it was it was the poor kids of England. Right. And they, uh, I remember this red-headed girl. We had flags and stuff. She grabbed a flag, and my God, she was the queen of something. She held onto that flag and she was just so gorgeous. They all were, they all were fantastic. It's transformative to you. Right, of course it's transformative. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So you would do that in the summers. I did that for one summer. The following summer, I did a selection of um, ancient plays, of miracle plays, and I played Jesus. In the streets also? No, this was at the at Glastonbury, where the, where the tour is. Where everyone gathers every year, that mystical spot. I dropped acid up on top of that thing one night, and uh, awesome. The uh, we did these miracle plays, and it was pretty disastrous. (laughs) We did it in the ruins of an old church, and it was really
0: not good. Really, did you feel it was not good while you were doing it? Yeah. I mean, how does an actor? I've always wanted. So, I mean, I've been in those situations as a writer where I'm standing on a set and I know. Oh, fuck. We all made a terrible mistake, you know, in a movie yeah, yeah. in some Puerto Rico. And you're like, what do I do? I'm right. stuck. Right. I, at least when you're the writer, you feel like maybe you can like go home and fix it, which you can't. Uh, it's too late. But <laughs> when you're an actor and you have to do the thing, yeah. I imagine it's just a very dispiriting feeling. Very dispiriting. Yeah. Yeah. How do you keep? How do you keep at it? I guess it was uh,
1: just youth that was keeping me going. I don't know what. And then, plus, I was having a relationship with one of the angels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Sure. Uh. And one thing I love about doing a podcast is that I get to choose uh, who advertises on the show, and I only choose products that I dig. And this is one that I really do uh, like a lot and use. This is Mack Weldon clothing. Are you looking for more comfortable clothing? Mack Weldon is your answer. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Uh, I bought undershirts from them and I bought underwear from them and uh, I wear it. I wear it all the time and um, I'll order more soon because this stuff is super comfortable. It looks good and um, it works exactly the way that they say it will. Um, you know that thing when you put on an undershirt under a shirt of yours and it's uh, somehow like doesn't, it either fits too tight or it's like clingy. Theirs uh, just hangs exactly as you'd hope it would and um, everyone will look like a Brando uh, in uh, the 50s. That may not be true, but you'll feel like you do and that's really what's important. Mack Weldon will be most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more you'll ever wear. Their clothing is good for working out, going to work going out on dates, basically everyday life. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that eliminate odor. And right now, my listeners get a special offer. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code MOMENT at checkout. Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. And they are so confident that if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it. And they will still refund you no questions asked. So go now to MacWeldon.com and enter promo code MOMENT at checkout.
1: You graduate from Bristol. Graduated from Bristol. And I came back to... Uh, you came right back? To Canada. Right. And by then I had an ACLU lawyer that was uh, a friend of my dad's. And uh, he said, look, it, the backlog now, and by now it's, it's 71. He said, the backlog is roughly five years. We had clogged
0: up the courts, all of us. Refuse an experiment. You mean the backlog to prosecute you for yes. draft dodging? Yes. Right.
1: And uh, why don't you come back into the States? And uh, I lived in Canada for a little while. Uh, come back into the States, and if anything happens, I will get you out again. I said, great, I'll do that. I'll do that. So were you nervous crossing the border back into the States? No, I was going home. It was nice. I was a little self-conscious about my British accent. (laughs) Sure, that's funny. (laughs) I shuffled that thing off as fast as I could. Oh, you did? You got rid of it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You didn't
0: do the Madonna thing of keeping it for the next 30 years? (laughs) No. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that phony stuff. (laughs) No, I liked it before. (laughs) Um, So you come back into the States, and what defined your first years as a professional actor? Like, what did you do? Did you... You I went straight to... uh,
1: Schenectady, New York, to visit an old girlfriend, Uh, got robbed at gunpoint there, only time in my life. Uh, In Schenectady? Yeah. Which is where
0: Union is.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I went to New York City and did some auditions, I think maybe two or three different auditions, and then left and went back to Schenectady to hang out with my girlfriend, and uh, got robbed, and... Then got a phone call. One of the places I had auditioned at was the uh, Oh God, it was oh God, names are in my the bane of my life. It's it early was in the a morning. Touring, Nobody's counting remember the, it was the, the New York Shakespeare Shakespeare Company. And it was run by a gentleman named Al Meister. And I went and auditioned for Al and of course I was tuned. Right, I could do Shakespeare because I'd spent yeah. day after week after month scanning the lines and saying the lines, and I knew that if you're going to do Shakespeare, you have to be able to do it backwards in your sleep, and I could. And so I did a good job. Uh, however, they had no positions. I left, I got a call two days later that a fella had broken his collarbone and could I come back and joined the National Shakespeare Company. Wow. And I knew that it was I was coming into the big leagues because while I was there in the building for my audition, I saw uh, the Grandpa Munster, who was related to Phil Meister, was his brother. Of course. And he lived upstairs at the top of this little building on 51st Street. And uh, I thought, oh, man, I'm in a big time now. There we go. Anyway, I came back. We uh, had two weeks to stage and memorize three plays, three classical plays, two Shakespeare and one other classical uh, in this little space at National Shakespeare Company. And did you have a decent-sized part? Yes, we did Midsummer Night's Dream, and I was one of the lovers in Midsummer. Midsummer. Oh god, what all else did we do that first season? I don't remember the details of season. But you know, gone. but
0: you had stuff to do. You oh, had definitely. Really, you had work to do, to memorize and be there. Oh, definitely had a lot to do. Right, yeah. you had a lot it, to
1: do. Went right to work. Yeah. And um
0: when you're doing Shakespeare like that night after night traveling around, you know the thing you said before about doing that audition and just feeling gone. That the thing that everyone who does something creative the thing we chase all the time, which is that feeling of like hyper presence and distance at the same time where yes. you're super focused but in a way you're just in another place yes uh have have you ever learned how to generate that or is it just that you do the craft and the work and sometimes it happens like how does that how does it work for you like boy uh, because i have no fucking idea how it happens for me sometimes i just every day i journal and every day do my thing and then i write every day and then once in a while i wake (laughs) up and i'm like and it hits these two hours went by and I've written all this and yes. I was in this other yeah. place. And of course I can't call it up when I want it to show up. It just, ha- is that what happens for you? Like you do all this preparation so you can do the work whether you're feeling that or not. Yes,
1: absolutely. And I, I throw in a couple of other, I, I very much before we before we, start a take, I, uh, I, uh, I do a, a little bit of breathing and I feel the ground under my feet. Those are my two
0: things. You mean you'll, Breathe. Deep breath. I've seen you do that, And yeah.
1: feel the ground under my feet. And there's a, that helps me to just at least get somewhere within the neighborhood of the house that I'm trying to hit.
0: Yes. <laughs> and then you just do
1: it. You, and, then, you, and then you just cross your fingers and go, yeah. And when you're and, working,
0: yeah, go ahead, crowd. And
1: if you have someone like Paul Giamatti, it makes it easy.
0: Well, yeah, because he's so present and he's right so present. there with you. Yep. And sharing the moment. I mean, Absolutely. The amazing if, I, if I zig, he'll zag. Right, yeah, I feel. I mean, that's that's clear. We all. I mean, you know, uh, for him, I mean, his very highlight of working on the show is getting to work with you. He says it all the time. So (laughs) I love it. I mean, you know, getting to be in scenes with you makes him (laughs) so happy. He's giddy when it's a Jeff to Monday. We all are on set, but are you? You're when when you're working. Are you thinking ahead of time about the text and how each these land lines will land, or are you just kind of memorizing them and then seeing what happens? memorize and see what happens, yeah because you've already internalized who the guy is
1: yes, and i've
0: I've yeah, you just
1: the, the trick is releasing that's the trick, so you get it memorized you get a sense of but don't make any decisions. don't make any little choices
0: ahead of time, you mean in the thing yeah, understand what the scene's about yeah. And just say, well, whatever it is. Did that take you a long time to learn?
1: Yes. Yes, especially with the camera. With the camera, it was it was a whole other thing that I had to learn from the stage. Sure. And I would watch uh, other actors with a camera and think, how the fuck is he doing that? How is she doing that? Right. Because uh, when it was my turn and the camera would come around, okay, step back a little to your left, all right, action! And I'm just, you know, I'm letting out these bricks coming out of my mouth. <laughs> and uh, I didn't understand it, didn't understand it. And then, this is several years into uh, when I've been working, I, I was up in the woods uh, in in Canada with, with my now wife, my second wife, and uh, I was staying at some cabins up there. i just finished a job in Toronto, and we just went to some cabins in the woods to stay there. And I, thought, well, you know, maybe I better call back uh, to New York and talk to my manager. So I, I called uh, Dale Davis. I called Dale up, and I, uh, she said, oh, thank God you called. And there had been an offer that had come through for a job, and she had her partner, Harris Bileos, read some of, the, uh, some of the script to me. It was an offer, and it was to start in uh, four days or five days in Budapest and so he read some of it and it was some pretty hairy stuff and i said yeah let's do it so i had no time to think i had no time to prepare i uh went home basically packed my bags and got on an airplane for budapest and uh the project was called citizen x Uh, and and i said i am not going here to make a single friend I am not going here to do a good job. I'm not going here to impress anybody. I'm only going here to be this difficult, difficult, but to be this guy. That's all I'm doing. Everything else is unimportant. And it was the first time I'd done that. Uh, I don't care what anybody thinks. And it was that was a revelation to me.
0: Well, you got nominated for the Emmy and you won uh, an Ace Award for it, right? Yeah. So it was obviously a huge changing moment for you, a charged yes. and changed moment. Yeah. And those other things, trying to be popular, trying to make friends, do you think those things had held you back from being able to just be present when the guy said between action and cut? Right, right. yeah, it it's confuses your focus. It's, it's not why you're there. But now, all these years later, you're able to talk to people, and you're incredibly collegial on I've, our set. I have no,
1: no problem with that. But when I arrive, I'm only there for one thing. Yes, to be Chuck Senior. That's it. Yes. That, from, from day one with, with this, that's all I'm there to do. And if nothing else happens, nothing else happens. I don't care. Right. He's the only thing. But in addition, suddenly I'm surrounded by all these great people. Well, it's, we have a lucky um, thing. Yeah, yeah. We have a very lucky situation. Amazing set. Yeah. Somebody said to me, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago, "What's the best set you've ever worked on?" I said,
0: "Yeah, this one. I mean, it's no, it's an amazing yeah, situation. Yeah, it's an amazing. We're all set. yep. Well, Paul and Damien are so committed to it being great for everybody, yeah. and when you have those two dudes making it sure, yeah. and then you have Maggie there, who's yeah. the best person in the world. Yeah. it just really." it really helps the yeah. entire vibe and Malin and Asia the whole uh, everything yeah. it's funny I have to talk to Costable about it I mean he, he when he walks onto those acts sets he makes it a point to like try because there's all these extras 300 extras and Costi said like you know it's imp- we have to go in there and make everybody feel like they're a part of this yeah it's a great thing about our, sh- our show and a very lucky thing about our show yeah and so did that change how you worked from that f- moment on yes and is that when you felt like I understand I'd be a film actor now yeah why is, is that not necessary when you're doing a play? Because you're doing the same thing every night? No, how is it different? Uh, I don't know. It's such a different
1: suit of clothes you're putting on or a different piece of machinery you're using. It's a different... Honestly, I don't have the words for it, Brian, but I, it's a different experience.
0: Yes. Doing a play is... Uh, it's, it's, it's just very different. Um, all right. We, I had so many more questions, but we're running out of time. So I, just wanna, I do want to ask you a couple... Of things, um, what when you were here and you were auditioning and you, so you got that Shakespeare was that the first the break in a way? Is did you have the sense then? Oh, I can do this for my life because you've led this career where you've worked nonstop, but you weren't a household name. No, and yet you've done. You know, you've been nominated for all these awards. You are among actors. You are incredibly well-known as somebody, everyone. when we told Paul that we were going to cast you in this part, he said, that's my favorite actor. Did you think about career at all during this, about planning it? Did you move to L.A. at any point and try to do? I tried. I
1: tried. Uh, I would go out to L.A. on spec. I just hated it there. After about um second or third month, I got to the point where I knew I was just going to turn a desk over onto somebody. I just, I couldn't. I never got any work out there. Yeah. It just, it rubbed me so wrong. It was like nails on a blackboard. And the difference in the actors there, the, the way the actors are with each other. In New York, uh, I would run into an actor who was this, like looking in a mirror, just looked exactly like me, same age, same... Uh, and he'd say, Oh, have you been up to the Manso- Mansonia? There's an audition. You should go there, man. I just came back from it. Go. Whereas out in L.A.,
0: Oh, You'd yeah. walk into
1: a room, and, and people are looking at you up and down like, who the hell is this guy? Uh-oh.
0: Right. Because it it's all the career thing.
1: Yeah, it's all so competitive. Whereas here, my best, my best agents were fellow actors.
0: Right. The culture was just different. But, but walking away from that meant walking away from a certain kind of lucrative opportunity base, right? I never really thought of lucrative, and I never wanted famous. Never. Those things weren't important to you? No
1: no i I wanted to make money because I ended up having children and and uh, needed to support them and sure had to make some money and so I, I i would i would i I took jobs where I read the script on the airplane yeah right
0: okay how much I'll go right and did you did that the whole time your kids were growing up yes, and did you stop doing that at a certain point yeah
1: not too many years ago, but a few years back, I realized that I was no longer hauling a wagon behind me. It's like I looked over my shoulder and I didn't have this wagon full of, of requirement and, and, and need back there. I could just, whoa,
0: I guess I can just go wherever I want to go now. Right, well that's what led you to be able to make the decision to walk away from Walking Dead when they finally. Absolutely,
1: yes, and I said to the other actors, I said, look,
0: I don't, I don't need
1: this for my career. I, I have a career. I don't have kids like you do. My my kids are grown up. Right. I'm taking a hit here and I don't give a damn. You guys stay on. Make this work for you. Right. You didn't make them feel bad about staying. No, I wanted them to feel strong about staying and, and taking care of business. You know. Sarah did you Wade? were in a different phase. Right. Totally different.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean I've always admired the fact that you did that. And what a lucky break for us that you did that. Um, because we ended up getting you to be a regular on our show, which is uh, really great. Um, I, I guess this will be my last question for now, and we should do this again after season four. Um, is it all as much fun for you as it seems like it is? Yes. <laughs> okay. yeah, you still I, get that feeling you got when you stood up on that podium reading the thing. Yes. That this is where you belong. Yes, absolutely. Otherwise,
1: uh, you know, I'd be doing something else, I suppose. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, not every job some jobs are less fun than others, but uh, and some things I, I look forward to with some trepidation, and this is gonna be tough, okay, I'll do it, uh, but especially with uh, I mean, Billions, is a, it's a peach,
0: it's a peach. No, you're a peach, man, you are a peach. Uh, Jeff Demon is not really, you're not on Twitter, are you? No. No, he's off in the country and uh, living his life and preparing. You can find me at Brian Koppelman. You can email me, themomentbk, at gmail.com. Jeff, man, thank you so much for uh, doing this and for being in our lives and being our show.
1: And thanks for my first podcast.
0: (laughs) There you go. You've done a podcast now. It's all happened. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.